you a stick i hear if you're in a quagmire you should lay back slowly yeah just try to float on, on top of your own bullshit <laughs> don't let it suck you under i was led to believe that uh quicksand was going to be way more of a problem than it turned out to be <laughs> It's so true. I spent so much time in my childhood thinking about quicksand. Yeah. And now? It's not really the ever-present threat I thought it would be. And yet I almost never worried about the judgmental glares of other people. And yet. And yet. Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name is Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 105, where we will be covering chapters 21 through 28 of Oathbringer, by Brandon Sanderson. On our next book club, we'll be covering chapters 29 through 35. So jot that down. Our spoiler policy is that Liz has read these books while I have not. So we will not be spoiling anything past chapter 28 of Oathbringer. Don't spoil it, people. Don't do it. So it's been a while since we picked this book up. A little bit. How'd it feel getting back into it? Uh, I mean, it wasn't as long as the previous break, so it... it and these have been longer chunks, so it felt fairly normal to me. We're starting to get into things happening. Right. And this section, and I've said this before at different times, but this was one of those sections that when I read it, I thought, oh, okay, that was all right. But I didn't think, I didn't realize how much stuff had happened until mm-hmm. I went back and I started taking notes and I was like, oh my God, so much happens in mm-hmm. this section. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of little things and a lot of big things, a lot of groundwork being laid. A lot. I mean, there's really a lot of stuff in this section. So I think we have plenty to talk about. These books definitely are better and better on, on a reread. I imagine, yeah. Well, let's get into the chapters. Chapter 21 is called Set Up to Fail. Shalon faces the aftermath of her foray into the thug life. We get to see what's up with Sabario, Polona, Vatha, and Gaz. She and Adolin pay a visit to Sadius's section of the tower, where they find his wife, Iale, holding court with Moraes, the leader of the Ghostbloods, by her side. Thug life, yo. That's right. So how do we feel about the Shallan and Adolin show? The, uh, the caper? The, well, the, the caper, the cutesy, the banter. The, the, every time they... They're together. It's like a meet cute all over again. Yeah, it's all right. I dig it. I mean, I just was wondering if you were, we were on the same page there. I don't read these chapters and go, this is the most adorable thing ever. But I don't have a problem with it. All right. So we open up this chapter with Shallan nursing a wicked hangover. Yeah. And then what I noticed is, so she says, head pounding. There was an empty jug of horn eater white in the corner. Shallan, Adolin says, are you decent? Shallan replies, depends, she said, voice croaking, on the context. I'm decent at sleeping. And I'm like, Brandon Sanderson has never had a hangover. <laughs> because there's no clever quipping. No. There's just shut up and turn out the lights. Like, that's it. Like, 
No, you have energy for a cheeseburger, and that's it. So, again. Cup of coffee, cheeseburger, don't talk to me. Yeah. Done. (laughs) I feel like writing Shalon chapters about her drinking is as thug life as Brandon Sanderson has gotten. And good for him. And good for him. Absolutely. You know what? That's not a criticism. No. That's not a criticism. Good if on you. If I could ya. undo every hangover I've ever had, I absolutely would. Ooh. I would say it was not a valuable experience no, in my life. No, I don't think I learned anything. At all. No. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> can't say anything good ever came out of it. If our kids came downstairs right now and said, Mom, Dad, should I try to get a hangover in my life or not get a hangover in my life? Yeah. Eh, no I, doubt. I mean, if you can avoid it, like, you probably should. Don't get a hangover. It sucks. My other note in this section is she's like, Adolin's here. My hair is a mess. And I'm like, you're a light weaver. You have the power to change your appearance. She doesn't and have will. any stormlight, though. If she did, she wouldn't have a hangover. Oh, yeah, true. I guess that's true. Yeah. I think it's interesting that she we find out that she can suppress the the look of the, the stormlight. The glow, yeah, yeah. And she says when she talks about that, she says she'd done that as a child as well, hadn't she? Mm. So we do learn we have learned recently that Shalon was light weaving throughout her childhood and then kind of suppressed those memories. So mm-hmm. It kind of helps to explain her rapid progress with her abilities with no one to teach her. It does. And I think some of that comes up in the play within the story a little bit later. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that part, too. Um, I still love Sabariel. Oh, yeah. Sabariel and Polona. Sabariel, who is obviously played by Tim Curry. Oh, yes. Phenomenal. You You know who I thought of? would be a really good lift. I mean, it wouldn't work now because of her age, but Holly Hunter. Like a 12-year-old Holly Hunter? Like a 12-year-old Holly Hunter. That's what you picture there? Yeah. like Isn't that so weird when you take a star and you like shrink them down to a baby? Oh, yeah. In your brain to play a part? All the time. <laughs> I shrink them down into a little baby, and then I put them in my pockets, and I take them with me where I go. I've shrunk Liam Neeson down so yeah. many times. Yeah. Come on, little tiny Will Wheaton, <laughs> little tiny Morgan Freeman. We're going to the store. <laughs> I need someone to talk to. <laughs> Who wants to hang out at our house? <laughs> so we see again this. There's a big theme in these books about command and what makes a good leader. And Adolin gives Shalon a little mini lecture on basically she's been letting her soldiers who followed her here from the beginning of her journey and now she's just kind of letting him chill yeah he's like so what are you what's up with those guys what are you doing with them she's like eh, just let them hang they seem to like it yeah it's a poor choice <laughs> yeah and she basically so he kind of calls her out on that and is like hey you're gonna like ruin them they can't just you need to give them something useful to do and to be a part of well it's also dangerous yes because they have your trust they have the ability, they have access to you. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing something with them, then you're potentially leaving them out there for somebody else to use. Right. There's a bunch of interesting comments throughout this section where Shalon talks about her other, her alter egos as being people almost separate from her. 
rather than a disguise that she's putting on. So this is one of the first ones that I noticed. Uh, She talks about why she doesn't like to be carried in a palanquin anymore. And she says maybe it was part of veil inside of her. So we see an interesting Mm -hmm. sort of fracturing of her personality. Anytime that she is doing something brave or that she's scared, she thinks of herself as veil. Yeah, it's interesting. And we we hinted at it last time about, you know, there's something inside of Shallan that has agency that isn't necessarily the character of Shallan that we're reading on the page or isn't necessarily brightness or, you know, isn't necessarily any single one of these characters. Mm -hmm. It's, It's interesting. We'll see where it goes. I also I really liked the interaction between her and Adolin where she starts by comparing him to his father and saying, you're so honorable. And he's like, ah, the guilt, the guilt, (laughs) I'm not honorable. And she says, you're not telling me something. And and he's like, maybe. And she's like, oh, thank the almighty. I got you a diamond ring. (laughs) Some kind of layers. Yeah, Jesus. You've got a little bit of death. Just nothing but white bread for every meal. (laughs) And he's like, do you want me to tell you what it is? And she's like, no, 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 just, I'm just going to pretend that, you know. Keep your pumpernickel in your pants, Adolin. <laughs> so at the end of this chapter, we're standing in front of Iali, and who is standing beside her? Bum, bum, bum. But Marais. And I'm like, that makes sense. It does make sense. Two scheming assholes belong together. They belong together. I also like just how often Shalon uses the this kind of phrase, Ash's eyes, in yeah, order yeah. to swear. And that, of course, is referring to Shalash, who is the, the herald of beauty, who is sort of her patron herald because she's an artist. She's sort of the patron of artists and such. And I just think it's interesting how just those little phrases, those little times where the characters use expletives, Fits with their personality and fits in with the world building. Nice job, B-Sand. Okay, chapter 22 is called The Darkness Within. Adolin bandies words with Iale, and Shallan confronts Marais. Marais asks Shallan to find the source of the tower's wrongness and offers to give her information about her brother Hilarin in return. Iale reveals that Amaram is in the tower, leading his own investigation into Sadius's death. As they leave the meeting, they discover that the high storms have finally returned. So we begin this chapter with Marais standing right next to Iali with a parrot on his shoulder. (laughs) And I've changed my mind. Suddenly, now now it doesn't make sense. It no longer makes sense. No? No, I'm like, I saw, you know, Marais there, and I was like, "Mm, all right, okay, that jives. Mm -hmm. And then I saw Marais there with a parrot, and I'm like, suddenly, it's all bullshit. (laughs) How did he suddenly, how did he suddenly ingratiate himself in this established army, happen to be there, right? Nope, no, 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 calling bullshit. The whole thing is bullshit. Fucking parrot ruins it. Was it like those pictures as a kid where there are two identical pictures and can you spot what's wrong and in one of them the guy's leg is like upside down or something? Yeah, exactly. And I was like, this fucking parrot has just <laughs> broken the fourth wall. I'm going to kick this god. I'm going to make me a goddamn pillow out of this son of a bitch. 
That's hilarious. I couldn't get past the fact that uh, Iale is creepy as fuck. (laughs) She is definitely Mrs. Voorhees. She says, after a white spine makes a kill, it hides near the body. Would you like some wine? (laughs) Right. Girl, fetch me tea. Yeah, Adeline and Shalon totally walk in. She's there completely Dr. Eviling it up. Just waiting just, for, just standing, just, she's sitting in a chair <laughs> in the middle of a room with Marais next to her, nothing else. Yep. Well, well, well. <laughs> I've been waiting to tell you stories about white spines. <laughs> this is completely natural. <laughs> but I love Adolin holding his own here. He does, he does She kind of tears into him and he gives it back and he's like, my mom thought you were smart. <laughs> Guess she was wrong. Burn! My mom thought you were smart, but I guess my mom was just an idiot, because you're not. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Any of you who didn't read the book, that's the exact that's dialogue. exactly, word for word, what happened. <laughs> so Marais and Shalon you know, go to the side and she's like, she's like, what are you doing now? You know, now Iali's in league with the ghost bloods. And he says, no, she and her husband were too wild a variable for us to invite. Their motives are their own. I don't think they align to those of anyone else, human or listener. Interesting. Interesting. I think there's two key words in that phrase. Mm-hmm. The Are first, they the ones I underlined? Let's see if you can get them both right. Ready? Are we going to do them in order as they occur in the page? Yes. All right. Word number one on three. One, two, three. Variable. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> Never mind. We lost. See, sometimes when you improvise, things go really well. <laughs> Come on. One out of two. One out of two. Okay. okay. Ready? One, two, two, three, listeners. Hey! What was the other word you had underlined? Motives. What? (laughs) (laughs) Anyone? I had the word anyone. No. I thought you were going to say human. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So... Listener, because I, to this point, I don't know anybody else who's used the word mm-hmm. listener other than the listeners. Mm-hmm. So how, you know, where does where has he picked this up from, right? So clearly that indicates a degree of worldliness and his understanding of history that we have heretofore not seen. And the other one is just the word, the word variable, because it speaks of an almost mathematical sort of analysis of what's going on in the world, almost in the same way that someone working with the diagram might treat that. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know how seriously to take that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say not very, but, but it did stand out to me. Good catch. The other quote that I wrote down from Ray's in this section Well, actually, a couple of things. I like when he talks about morality, because that's a big theme in this book as well. And we've explored people of all shades of gray throughout this work. But he says, morality is an access that doesn't interest us. Only loyalty and power are relevant. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that's just where the ghost bloods are coming from. 
Um, he also talks about, and this is very interesting, he says, your theory must remain strong if we are to properly use the advent of the Voidbringers. Correct, yeah. He says, expunge the darkness. I will pay you an information. He leaned forward. He whispered in her ear, blockchain is the future. <laughs> I was pleased to see that Shalon says, uh, you know, was complaining, I'm not one of you. And then Marie says, you were certainly free in using our symbol last night. Mm-hmm. And I was proved wrong at the end of 104 when I was like, nope, I don't think that's going to come back. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad to see. So in this section, not only was I wrong, but I was doubly wrong because it comes back twice. Mm-hmm. It was really a foolish thing for me to to say in retrospect. Mm-hmm. So we see yet again here as well, Shalon gets angry when Moraes brings up her brother and she says, okay, I can't think about that right now because I can't afford to become Vale. So she's now separated herself from her anger to the point where she is going to completely become a whole other persona whenever she feels it. So it's interesting, just this fracturing of her personality. She's assigned certain emotions and certain situations to veil and veil only certain situations to radiant and radiant only. And she's just becoming more and more fractured as these chapters are going on. Doesn't seem healthy. No, it does not. No, it does not. So one other really significant character shows up at the end of this chapter, just like a significant character showed up in the end of last chapter. And that's, Amaram. Amaram. And, you know, that bastard Adolin says, and everyone's, ooh, ah, Amaram, stage left, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, But my question is, if Amaram's here, does that mean Moash is right around the corner? Moash was with Mraze. Oh, I'm sorry. So, still a valid question. But still a valid question. Yes, indeed. So, I was right. Just for the wrong reasons. That's right. <laughs> but we haven't seen Moash to date. We have not. So we are only seventeen percent of the way through the book. Well, right? there's that. <laughs> Chapter twenty three is called Storming Strange. Kaladin secures a bunker and provisions for his runaway Parshendi gang. He finally has a conversation with the yellow void spren that has been leading them, but he's left with more questions than answers. So Kaladin's trooping along with what is now like a hundred of these runaway slaves who have been, had their minds returned to them by the storm. And they're being gathered up by this yellow spren with eyes like someone from Shinovar. And I like her. She's sassy. She is. Uh, She's very, uh, she's very different from the other spren that we've encountered. Mm -hmm. She's this streetwise little spren urchin. Hey, uh, you there, you human. (laughs) You're not like all these other humans I know. What's up with you? (laughs) And morality don't enter into it. You gonna fight for me or not? (laughs) I know where to get the best pastrami sandwiches. It's not like the other spren we've Mm -hmm. encountered. And doesn't seem to be bonded to... Any particular individual. Does not seem to be. Not that, we, not that we've indicated. Right. Yeah, these humans, you can't trust them. So we also find out that 
three caravans in the area have disappeared. This is now the the biggest town that's close to Kolinar, and the closer that they're getting to that, the weirder things are getting. We know that cities are going dark where nobody's hearing anything from from them at all. So shit's going down. This and this is how shit goes down in a world where there's no CNN. Exactly. It goes down, but no one knows what the hell is happening. Nobody knows what the hell is going on. So at the same time, we've got this gathering. And it's interesting because the gathering certainly seems like an ominous thing. Most of the events that we're hearing about seem pretty ominous. Okay. Cities going dark. Ominous. Caravans disappearing. Ominous. Hella ominous. But you compare that to these Parshendi who are... Not ominous. Yeah, anything but. Yeah. As the spren points out, they're only a month old, basically. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's just an interesting confluence of, of all these factors. So there's obviously something that is driving the Parshendi together. For what purpose, we don't know. At this point, they're just trusting the spren. Yeah. But while all of these... um for lack of another word, ominous things are happening yeah. around them. Hey, you uh, hey, you listeners there, you ain't got uh, anything to do. Why don't you come with me? I'm going to take you on a little trip. We're going to go to Kulinar. <laughs> eh, don't you worry your pretty little shell heads about it. I got a plan for you. Johnny Yellowsprint going to hook you right up. Johnny Yellowsprint. Oh, Johnny Yellowsprint can be trusted. <laughs> Chapter 24 is called Men of Blood and Sorrow. Dalinar struggles with the implications of his returning memories. Taravangian arrives at the tower. He's still the only monarch to heed Dalinar's call for a council. They receive a particularly strange message from Tezim the Great, leader of the Takari. Taravangian doesn't believe that Dalinar isn't planning to conquer all of the other nations, but the Blackthorn is determined to unite rather than divide. So we've seen in all of these flashbacks throughout the book, plenty of evidence as to why people don't believe that Dalinar wants to innocently march an army into the middle of their cities just to help them. Hey! Hey. Remember me? I'm the Blackthorn. We go back. I got this pad. I got this great bachelor pad. Hey! You got to check it out, baby. Come on. Hey, I I got some new DVDs. Got some peach schnapps. We can relax. Here, let me. You look tense, baby. Yeah. Let me rub your shoulders. These hands are magic. <laughs> hey, it's all about you, baby. <laughs> Nothing but respect. Yeah. The Blackthorn is here for you. <laughs> we gonna go to Wawa. <laughs> Get ourselves a sandwich. All right. First note for chapter 24. Bracer clocks. Get the fuck out of here. What? Bracer clocks. What's your problem with bracer clocks? My problem with bracer clocks is that in the next sentence, he says, watch. Well, I didn't notice that, life ruiner, so thanks. (laughs) Hey, if Dalinar wants to call his bracer clock a watch, who's going to stop him? Well, fucking nobody, but... (laughs) But they have shard plate, and they have saddles, but they don't have watch bands. 
They have bracer clocks. It's fucking bullshit, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't agree. I have no problem with the bracer clocks, so. But you can just be unhappy over there. <laughs> <laughs> if you're really determined. I'm just saying. I don't like parrots. I don't like puppies. <laughs> I don't like bracer clocks. Puppies are great. Puppies are great in a lasagna <laughs> or a stew. Oh, God. So Dalinar had only remembered the first portion of his memories of Evie, the meeting her and mm -hmm. the beginning of the relationship. Um, and it seems as time goes on that the memories are being revealed almost chronologically, mm -hmm. um, which is going to be interesting because I'm certain that's going to line up with the plot, allowing us to slowly uncover more facts mm -hmm. uh, that will begin to line up with the facts and events that are occurring in the present, mm -hmm. which is an interesting device. I don't want that to sound cynical. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see mm -hmm. how that sort of layer unfolds. Right, we know we're we're building up to the reveal of we know that that Evie had a horrendous death, and um, mm. you know, obviously that seems like that's where this is leading. I thought it was interesting this whole issue with the Night Watcher, whose gift and boon he doesn't actually remember. Yeah, and he doesn't even really remember what he asked for. He thinks he asked her to take away his pain, but and then woke up with no memories of his wife. However, in, in recorded history, no boon or gift of the Night Watcher has ever just stopped Just gone working. away, yeah. So there's obviously something more at play here. So I think that's a very interesting point about this chapter. It is. We also meet Teravangia's crew. Radiant. We have Androtagia and, I don't know, Androtasia, maybe? Yeah, Androtasia. Androtasia and Malata. That bitch won't stop smiling. <laughs> she's a she's a dust bringer she's a dust bringer it's like um it's like lesbian bed death <laughs> though navani says they do not like the term hey you know maybe she's not smiling maybe she's trying not to sneeze <laughs> <laughs> this whole time <laughs> This is, it's all just a misunderstanding. Can dust all the time with this job. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Dalinar says, I don't like how she smiles. Navani says, if she's truly a radiant, can she be anything but trustworthy? Mm. Would Spren pick someone who would act against, against the best interest of the orders? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I don't know. There's a lot of really weird fucking Spren around here. Right? Yeah, it's true. I mean, is that an assumption to make? No, this is, and this is a very interesting hey, point. Hey, Johnny Yellowspren. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it's an interesting point because Dalinar had a vision in which he was talking to Nahodon. Nahaden. Nahaden. You know who I mean. Nahodon. No, I think it is Nahodon. I think you're right. Yeah. He was talking to Nahodon, and they're talking about a, a rebellion or some kind of conflict between the Knights Radiant that has happened. And Nohadan says to him, if only all Spren were as discerning as Honor Spren yeah, in true, choosing yeah. their Radiance. Mm -hmm. It's surprising to me that Dalinar didn't put those pieces yeah, together. Yeah. But we know that that's not true. We also know from Pattern that the kind of Spren she is bonded to 
likes to take things apart to see how they work. Like a surgeon. So I think it's very interesting that Dalinar sort of has this instant antipathy towards her, given that she is a, well, they call them the dust bringer, but what their proper name is, is the releasers, which is sort of the opposite of a bondsmith. Mm, Her job is to take things apart and his Ah. is to bring them together. Also, she's got short hair and he is not cool with that. (laughs) So my favorite quote from this section is from uh, T-Vange, who says, Surely the sorrows can't be past us. Surely the evils didn't actually end. If they had, wouldn't we be back in the Tranklone Halls even now? He looked towards Dalinar, and surprisingly, there were tears in his pale gray eyes. I do not think you and I are destined for such a glorious place. Men of blood and sorrow don't get an ending like that, Dalinar Colon. And then immediately after that, Navani enters with a fucking arm clock. A goddamn arm clock. It says arm clock. This is bullshit, man. I'm I'm trying to understand why this is bothering. Are you maybe picturing it wrong? Are you picturing like a tiny grandfather clock just sticking up out of her arm? Because I don't think that's Listen, any clock can be a grandfather clock as long as it fucked your grandmother. (laughs) No, it's it's a, a pet peeve of mine. When in fantasy literature you describe something that is obviously meant to be an everyday item, Mm -hmm. but because you don't want to call it a wristwatch, you instead call it an arm clock. Like, we don't all know what you're fucking talking. It would be less annoying to just say she looked at her watch. It's interesting because then you have to think about the, the origin of the word watch. Why did we start calling it a watch? Did the first person who invented it... No, I'm actually serious. Did the first person who invented the watch say this is a watch? Or did he say this is a clock I wear on my arm? And then how did that vernacular kind of develop? And would it make sense to invent something on another planet and have that same instantaneous um, development of that same vernacular? Yeah. I mean, he built it with his tiny little extra metal fingers that he used on his raised ground that we all call a table. Googling it now. You're Googling the etymology of the word watch. Yes. He was like, I'll tell you the etymology. You want to know the etymology of the word watch? He held it up in front of his friends and went, hey, 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 hey. Watch. (laughs) I don't really need to read you the etymology of the word watch. If it's interesting, you can. The, the use of the word watch um, to refer to a small timepiece is from the 1580s, developing from that of a clock to wake up sleepers. So then it was kind of related to like the watch. Oh, like the night watch. Like the night's watch, but not the, you know, the one on the ice wall. But. No, because those guys used uh, bracer clocks. <laughs> If we keep going this way, I'm going to have to try and figure out why we call pants 
why we have a pair of pants but a single shirt. So we're gonna have to just we're gonna have Look, to move on. Nobody's got time for that. I think. Listen, I've never had anyone to share this burden with. He said softly. Thank you. I didn't find anything. Navani said. It doesn't matter. Said Dalinar. Navani says. Could you at least confirm with the Stormfather again that his bond with you is absolutely for sure not what's not causing the memories to come back? I'll see, said Dalinar. He looked up to the sky. Oh, great gazoo! <laughs> I have spoken and spren do not change like men, said the great gazoo, but he lied, because we have seen bond spr- bonded spren change, and the night watcher, who, at least ostensibly, gave Dalinar this gift, is also a spren. Do you want me to, like, address that? Yeah. Or I can't sometimes. Uh, no, I'm done. I'm done. I mean, no, sometimes you're just grousing and that's cool. So my thoughts on those points, which are excellent, are that one, he says, spren do not change like men. Good point. Um, that doesn't mean they don't ever change. Mm-hmm. Two, what we don't know about the Night Watchers boon and gift to Dalinar were what they originally were. Yeah, yeah. So her boon could have been, you will forget Evie until you fall in love again or until some other such thing happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some unnamed criteria is met. We can't even 100% confirm that it's from the Night Watcher. Exactly. So this is sort of mystery deepening there, but moving towards getting some kind of resolution. That's true. Are we okay? I'm fine. I'm Bracer clocks nonwithstanding. <laughs> I can get past it. Okay. But I find that shit annoying. No, I will agree with you on the the inconsistency, especially if he goes back and forth, and I hadn't noticed between using the word watch, using the word bracer clocks. If he's inconsistent with that, I would give you that point for sure. I feel pretty certain that he used the word watch Mm -hmm. somewhere in that same chapter as Mm -hmm. well. But it's it's not really that big of a deal. But it's a it's something that breaks the verisimilitude for me. Mm, yeah. So yeah, I can see that. So it's annoying. Before we get to chapter twenty five, we are greeted with a very very special sight between chapters twenty four and twenty five. Oh, and that's yes. the nine headed horse anus. That thing is freaky. What is that thing? It gets brought up in chapter. 27 or 28, Shalon's yes. talking about it, but what the fuck? Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's somehow tied to the Rashadium and, and whatever else, but mm-hmm. my goodness. Chapter 25 is called The Girl Who Looked Up. Shalon explores the tower, looking for the source of the mysterious, capital D, darkness. She stumbles across a theater and uses it to tell Pattern a story, the story of the girl who looked up. In the story, a little girl lived in a land surrounded by a wall that kept out the storms. The people behind the wall believed that the wall kept the bad things out, but the little girl wondered about it. One day, she decided to climb the wall, and when she reached the top, she realized that the wall was built to keep her people in. They were the bad things that were being protected against. The real poltergeist in the television was us all along. (laughs) Sorry, I thought you were done. 
you would think, but it's a long chapter. Shallan's story draws the attention of a hella creepy spren, which she chases to the marketplace. Just as she arrives, Rock is attacked by a mysterious figure in a coat and hat, which stabs him through the hand and disappears. So, so much going on here. Steel Jaw Jack. Right? From Eon Kid. How many people will get that? When has that ever stopped me? Never. So I love the story of the girl who looked up. It's literally a play mm-hmm. with inside of our novel. It's literally yeah. a play within a play. How much more Shakespearean can you get than that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the scene. scene and I love the story. I'm not always a fan of the story within a story because they don't they don't pl- tend to play out for a long time. But I love in this one... You know, even if you don't might not know where it's going, ultimately, you can pick out what the relevant themes are going to be, you know, and particularly for Shalon. And as she finishes telling the story, she's crying and some weird stuff goes on as she's telling it. But just the themes of a monster being inside of you all along or realizing there's something wrong with you, you know, it's 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 just very relevant to this character. Absolutely. So I thought it was interesting that right in the very beginning of it, and this is supposed to be this legend from the beginning of time, mm-hmm. but from the beginning of the the story, we immediately start to get contradictions. So it's before storms, mm-hmm. but the walls were created to keep out storms. Mm-hmm. Um a scarf that's constantly blowing in the wind. Mm-hmm. I don't really know that that's a contradiction, but but being that close to a wall of that size would definitely mm-hmm. block out, particularly if it was designed to block out the storms, mm-hmm. would block out most of the wind. Also, no sunlight reached the people, she mm-hmm. says, but there are farmers and there are trees. Mm-hmm. And so there's you know weird little things that um, those contradictions to me make it feel like a real legend because those are the sorts of things that you get in real legends or mm-hmm. echoes. Uh, you, you hear these fantastical stories that you know, like my son and I were talking the other day and he was explaining to me that he just learned the, uh, the tale of Rumpelstiltskin, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all about how somebody takes the, the princess for, you know, from the kingdom and he's like, why would somebody want a, a princess? Mm-hmm. And it caused me to think that, well, somebody would want a princess or a prince or a baby because they could potentially manipulate them to take over the entire kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, So it makes me think that those stories have an echo in real life. Yeah. And this sort of, even though there's this sort of obvious thing that can't be true... And it's those sort of like inconsistencies and echoes of the truth that we get in our own mythology and folklore that when I see them in stories like this, make them feel so much more real to me, even though they obviously aren't true because they're in a fiction novel. (laughs) But even within that, they couldn't be true Mm -hmm. even within their own fiction. That's such a good point. I like the phrase that really jumped out to me she says the land was safe, but it was also dark. Yeah, that's that stood out as well. Also, so going through the story, 
Shalon is pulling from her memories and her sort of snapshots in her brain mm-hmm. to create the images that she's then projecting out with Stormlight. Right. But she has to mix in sort of current memories and current people with mm-hmm. what she had from her past because all of those pictures and things are were lost to her. But as she gets deeper into the telling of it, additional details start to pop up that she's like, I don't have a I don't have a memory of that, or I don't have a recent memory of that. Mm-hmm. And what's unclear is to me is are one of two things happening. One is through the process of this and her sort of uh, finding this sort of emotional truth in this story, even though it's not a literal truth, is it helping to bring out memories from her mm-hmm. that she's able to sort of recall and get deeper into her subconscious? Or is she adding details like the fact that she had white hair? Mm-hmm. Is that a sign that there's something more metaphysical going on? Mm-hmm. That she's reaching further back into real history or mm-hmm. that the characters in these stories have some real corollary and there's an ex- something external that's pushing in on this to supply these things to her. Mm-hmm. Don't know which is true, but I feel like it's probably one of those two things. Most likely the former. Yeah, there's a that's a, a really good point. And it's certainly, you know, this is being told on a planet where you've got this epic ages long struggle between two peoples and a story about a girl who who climbs a wall that's been meant to keep her in and on the other side she finds steps that go down on the other side of the wall is a perfect society powered by stormlight so and obviously on her side of the wall there wasn't any stormlight because yeah. there were no storms so it is definitely a very rosharan story very interesting to see how that's going to play out further in the novel. So at the end of the story, you know, Shalon chokes up uh, because to her, as you've alluded to, the wall was the situation with her family, mm-hmm. keeping her stuck there. Mm-hmm. Also, the division between her real, you know, mm-hmm. she's the monster being protected from. So for all, for multiple reasons, it really resonates with her personally, but that's never just what's going on mm-hmm. in these stories. So it seems to be some sort of allusion to some, uh, or some sort of hint towards some greater Cosmere truth. You know, the barbarians were us the whole time. There's something separating us from God, and we probably created it ourselves. <laughs> right? Th- these sort of greater, mm-hmm. you know, those those are almost like these, them, you know, greater thematic truths, right? Right. But there's also, I'm sure, some historical relevance to this, whether it's here in Roshar, and this is, you know, what separates Shinovar from the rest of the planet, and mm-hmm. on one side of it, there's cultivation, and on the other side of it, there's fucking creme for as far as the eye can see. <laughs> or whether it's more of a deeper thing, like this is what keeps, uh, what is stopping the the real gods from intervening here on Roshar. Mm-hmm. Or why we have like these substitute gods uh, 
cultivation and honor, but they're not really the real guy. Like mm-hmm. there's a wall there or something like that is mm-hmm. at play and is going to eventually point back to this story to be mm-hmm. like, I told you the whole time, you suckers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she goes down, sees a perfect society lit by stormlight, steals some, brings it back. The storms come as a punishment tearing down the wall. I'll bring that back up during predictions. All right. Can't wait. So as she finishes the story and her illusions kind of disappear, one of the, she had, as part of her illusion, had pictured these sort of dark shapes as the audience. And one of them doesn't disappear. It gets up and runs out the back. And that's just such a creepy scene, isn't it? It is, yeah. I've been discovered. And then it gets even creepier. It dives into the wall and she she finds it. And it's not a a human thing at all. It's some kind of dark, snarling freaking face. It's a boy named Goo. (laughs) It's a bit of Goo, but with parts jutting out, Mm -hmm. which is how most of my ex-girlfriends describe me. (laughs) So she's, so a couple that she's chasing this thing down the hallway. Now she doesn't have a lot of stormlight, but she does have stormlight. And we know that when she's all jacked up on that stormlight, like Ben Johnson, the 1984 Olympics, she runs like a demon with her hair on fire, but mm-hmm. she cannot catch this thing. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. And then she burst into the room. I don't remember if it was the, this. It gets a little confusing. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if it's the room where she eventually found him or a a corridor before it or something. Yeah, no, it's just a, just a room. But she runs and then all, or she stops and all these illusions like run and catch up to her. What's the deal with all these illusions? And they're all versions of herself that she's drawn yeah. in different ages and stages of different life circumstances. She's drawn herself as a mother, as she's drawn herself as a as an old woman, as a child, and they all are just dying, kind of young, scampering and, yeah. around. Yeah, but like that never comes from anywhere else, and there's nothing that I could find. I read that section like three or four times. There's nothing I can see that instigates it. It just pops up out of nowhere other than it's between when she identifies this thing in the back of the theater and when she eventually finds this thing in the back of the theater. It's unusual. I can't put my hands around what exactly is going on there. Yeah, It's not a phenomenon that's explained, although I will say at one point, not long before this happens, she thinks to herself about the fact that her mind is not trustworthy these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like a couple paragraphs before that. Right. I thought it was interesting, too, that as soon as she sees this mysterious figure, it wasn't like she breathed out stormlight to become Veil. Vale. It was like Veil vale hit the ground running. It, it was like this yeah, instant, yeah, yeah. not even thinking about. Now, then she turns into Radiant. It's a more deliberate, she breathes out Stormlight to become Radiant because she thinks, okay, Radiant would know what to do in this situation. But the transition to Veil has become like... Well, there is, yeah, there no longer is a transition. She's Shallan, mm-hmm. she's Veil, she's 
radiant Mm -hmm. in the moment when she needs them. And yet she wonders why her brain is not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. We find this weird, you know, creature hiding in a vent, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Like she could stick her shard blade in there and stab it if she wanted to. She doesn't want to do that. She doesn't want to start cutting sections of the. So she tries to find another way around to mm-hmm. to continue pursuing this thing, and she ends up in the marketplace and. In the middle of the, like, in the middle of the chase, we get this following exposition dump. The stalls here sold various goods, many of which looked to be salvaged from the more abandoned war camps. More than a few enterprising merchants with the tacit approval of their high princes. And on and on it goes for about seven more sentences before it gets back to, there was a, like, weird where he dumps exposition sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm a skimmer. <laughs> These are the sorts of things that <laughs> he had sent expeditions back to gather what they could. The stormlight flowing from Renarin to help with the oath gates. And I'm like, where's the goddamn goo boy? Who cares just, about oath gates at a time like this? It's so funny because I, I don't even think about it, but how I would read would be absolutely to skip that part. Figure out, find out what happens with the goo boy and then go back and read it. Like, I never read a book every paragraph in order. I read it all, but I, like, skip around and then go back. Oh, goo boy. I mean. Who hurt you? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how people read any other way. How do you ever sleep at night, goo boy? (laughs) I suspect he doesn't. It's like we're having two different conversations here. That happens often. (laughs) It does. (laughs) I'm always aware of the other conversation. It's just that I'm having my own conversation. Uh, Look, I love you, but I am my own best company. (laughs) I I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. (laughs) So what do we think about this weird copycat killer slash assaulter? I don't want to say any more because I'm going to talk about it in predictions. Okay, predictions. Gotcha. So then at the very end of the chapter, one of the thieves from the tavern that she uh, went to the other night is Vale. Blab, com- blab, 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 blab. I'm in a secret society. <laughs> comes up to her and asks to join the Ghost Bloods. And Shalana is very conflicted because she understands why this woman wants some kind of sense of direction and safety. But she can't in good conscience bring her into an organization that she is still not on board with. Chapter 26 is called Blackthorn Unleashed. <laughs> Shut up. I, that is still my f- favorite joke from 104 <laughs> episodes of this podcast. <laughs> really? Really the is. Blackthorn? Okay. Yeah, it's my favorite. It's my favorite one. I know I know it won't be everybody's, but it's my favorite. Dalinar remembers a night from his engagement to Evie. In case you missed it, he's not that into her. (laughs) Seriously, if Dishwater was a person, it would be Evie. (laughs) It's the Comedy Central roast of Evie. (laughs) I didn't know what I was signing up for. (laughs) You're not prepared? Apparently not. Get your blonde jokes together. The brothers colon... She was like if Marlboro's and Red Bull copulated. 
The brothers Colleen are out to get Kalinor, one of the last holdouts to Gavilar's reign. The Blackthorn is unleashed and things get messy. Shut up. <laughs> he kills a handful of his own soldiers in addition to his target and almost finds himself attacking Gavilar. That is the moment that he vows to never seek the crown for himself. So poor Evie. You know, I'd like to know a little bit more about this Evie before I say mm-hmm. poor Evie. I'm just saying, the picture that's painted in this scene, and we've all been there, ugh, when she's like tries to hug him and he's like, he just like kind of limply puts an arm around her. Yeah. It's like, ugh. It's like kissing your aunt. No, he's like, he's like afraid of what his men are going to think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, not in front of my friends. Gosh, mom, drop me off a block away. I'll catch up with you later, babe. God. (laughs) And all his men are behind him going, whoosh, whoosh. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes out into the battlefield and loses his shit. Yeah. The Blackthorn was unleashed, but... The weather was cold and no one was impressed. I think what's interesting to me in this chapter is the watching the progression of the thrill. Yes. The capital T thrill. Yes. Because it's it's been mentioned many times. And in this, not only does Dalinar see it in another person, and he talks about how weird it is because it's you know such an intimate experience and it seems to be tied to Alethi soldiers only. So it's very weird for him to see that someone else is experiencing it too. And also the way that it's progressed is that he no longer feels satisfied with fair combat or challenging combat. He just wants to kill people. Yeah, I have two quotes from that section in there, and they're really the only notes I have in this chapter. Mm -hmm. The first, and this is a single sentence, it says, he felt sad to have to engage a shard bearer instead of continuing his fight against the ordinary men. And my thought is that that sentence, more than anything else I've read in any of these books, makes me think that we are reading this novel from the perspective of the villains. Hmm. Interesting. The other one is, Kalinor felt the thrill, too. Mm-hmm. This made Dalinar furious. He should not have to share such an intimate feeling with this man. Mm-hmm. Come on, Rufus. You know I only have feelings when we're high-fiving out here on the battlefield. <laughs> Our fingers interlocked in a muted testosterone embrace. <laughs> Listening to the sweet, sweet music of Night Ranger. Sister Christian all the time has come. (laughs) It made him furious. I thought it was interesting, too, the mention of the Rashadium very briefly in the beginning of this chapter. Basically, a herd of them runs by and that's it. But Dalinar thinks to himself, oh, those Rashadium are awesome. There's no point in trying to catch one because they choose their riders. That's it. So we know eventually he bonds a Rashadium, mm-hmm. but obviously not when he's in jerk mode. <laughs> Full-blown jerk mode. Full-blown jerk mode. Yeah. Killing his own men. Not feeling that bad about it. No, not really. His elite bodyguard, who he probably knew pretty well. Yeah. It's pretty messed up. It's extraordinarily messed up. 
Chapter 27 is called Playing Pretend. The High Princes meet with Taravangian to discuss their next move, while Shallan ponders the strange spren she found. She gets to know Malada, the Dustbringer Radiant, who arrived with Taravangian and his crew. The proceedings are dramatically interrupted by Iale, who announces that she is naming Amaram the regent of House Sadius. Adolin tells Shallan about how Amaram got his shard blade. She stuffs that knowledge way down in her knowledge hole where she won't have to think about it, and instead comes up with a plan to uncover the tower's mystery that involves getting Vatha and the rest of her men drunk. I'm excited to see what her plan is. Mm-hmm. So once again, we see a mention of Shallan feeling like something is watching her. That's interesting. Pattern says that the spren is a thing from long ago, an ancient spren of odium, in case you hadn't already figured out that it was no good. <laughs> I mean, we don't want to judge just because you're a pile of black goo doesn't mean you're not just, a nice person. Just because you're a pile of goo with parts sticking out who also happens to be a copycat murderer doesn't mean you can't also be a good person. Exactly. Listen, we truth is judge. relative. So, yeah, so Iali shows up. She's got one pink fuzzy slipper on. <laughs> She's got on one tennis shoe. <laughs> She's wearing a house robe. She's got a Def Leppard t-shirt with the collar cut out. No bra. And she's like, I feel like you're judging me. You're all judging me. I can see that you're judging me. Also, Amaram's going to be my bright lord. Stop with your judgy eyes, you judgy judge. It's true. That's what happens. That's pretty much what Anyone happens. Anyone didn't read the book, that's exactly what happens. That's exactly how it plays out. The other thing that I thought was significant in here is that Shallan and Adolin have a conversation about Amaram. And, of course, what comes up is Hilarion and the sword. And Kaladin says, Amaram got that sword from Kaladin. Mm-hmm. And those words are like... Like, those words are two important words. Mm-hmm. Like, only cat. Or like, my son was the fan. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I really like how Brandon Sanderson, he could have teased this out longer. And, the you know, had every time that Shalom would start stewing on, oh, Amram killed my brother. Yeah, you yeah. know, I remember thinking like, oh, gosh, how long is it going to going to keep building and building and then find all of a sudden it's like boom you know um i mean it th- was like was a thousand no... pages but in brandon sanderson's world not really not very long she finds out at the end of words of radiance that he has the sword oh oh yeah well that's true i was thinking about like when she and kaladin are in the oh right but she doesn't know it at that point yeah that's right true. yeah i mean kaladin does but yes. she doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I I remember the first time reading the scene thinking, oh, something convoluted is going to happen and he's going to not tell her or something. I don't know. And then he's just like, oh, hey, you know that uh, Kaladin probably actually killed your brother. Yeah. You know, and um, so that was kind of refreshing. Yeah, I thought so. We also see Shallan definitely revert back to an old pattern, which is something upset me. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to retreat into my sketch pad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed. Oh, and by the way, she retreats into her sketch pad oh, yeah. because that is her safe place. 
where all of her nightmares and horrors exist. <laughs> oh, here's that other high prince who got killed, and here are all the wounds on his face. And, oh, here's just a dark tunnel with a squished face in it and mm-hmm. the nine-headed horsiness. And, like, yes. like, her sketch pad is straight out of Hellraiser. It's fucking terrifying. Yes, and she doesn't remember making a lot of these sketches. Yeah. So... This is like the you know my name is Simon and the things I draw come true character on the darkest, darkest acid ever. <laughs> it's like if if Simon was written by Clive Barker, that's what Shalon is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Is this the chapter where they hear from the, or did we forget to talk about that? The guy who claimed to be a radiant or the claim to be. Oh yeah, it is. It's this chapter. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. So they get a response back from one of the kingdoms or towns or princedoms. Right. Uh, I can't remember the name of it that they were trying to reach out to. And his response is quite interesting. Yes, Tezim the Great. It was actually back in chapter 24, but... Oh, well, okay, so I'm sorry. That's okay, we just forgot to talk about it. But he calls himself the Herald of Heralds and the Bearer of the Oath Pact and claims that he is the only one who is allowed to call himself Radiant and they all have to bow down to him and he is basically claiming himself to be their leader. So just put a pin in that. So back to chapter 27, we do we have heard from Kaladin at this point. Or he has at least sent a single glyph. Yeah, which is interesting because when we last heard from Kaladin, he's like, I'm going to have to steal back Mm -hmm. my my magic pen. And uh, then we get this and I think, well, sounds like that's an indication that he did, that he took it, he, he got his stuff and he ran. We also hear that there are a lot of Parshendi gathering in a place called Southern Marat. So we don't know what's going on there. No. But the world is going to hell. You know, people, countries are invading other countries just because they can at this point. It's just widespread looting, basically. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's this chapter or 24, but we also hear from Azir, I think it was Azir, that their plan to deal with all of this is to destroy their own oath gate. It's actually next chapter. Oh, shit. That's okay. <laughs> chapter 28 is called Another Option. Dalinar is still trying to convince the world's leaders to come check out his cool bachelor pad, but they're all locked up tighter than a nun's knickers. After a long, sulky walk and a talk with Teravangian, Dalinar and the Stormfather unwittingly hit upon a solution. The Stormfather will send the visions to the world's leaders in an attempt to win them to Dalinar's cause. This is like... When you've been standing there pushing on the pole door for like a good five (laughs) minutes and then someone walks up behind you and just pulls it open. (laughs) Dalinar's like, you can send the visions to other people? He just invented Netflix. (laughs) He did. Storm flicks. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good reveal. Mm -hmm, Yeah. And that's my last note. Uh, mm-hmm. in my notes for this week, it just says Stormflix. <laughs> so 
So there's a couple more things in this chapter. There is the finding of Oathbringer. Yeah, it's where the pieces of the murder mystery begin to come to... to oh, wait, we already know who murdered him. Right. No, it's where the murder mystery becomes unraveled, and the mm-hmm. tension is now, will Adolin get found out? Right. So the blade gets found. I thought it was interesting that when Dalinar picks up the blade, it doesn't scream as loudly as other blades. It doesn't. Yeah. And the Stormfather says, well, it hates you less than it hates other people. And the, Yes, exactly. It still hates you, <laughs> just less than it hates the other people. He also addresses with the Stormfather the question of, can it be revived? Yes, and uh, I know of no way, the Stormfather said, and then I wrote it. I wrote down so clearly this will happen. <laughs> right. It might be book nine, but this will happen. Give him a couple thousand pages. <laughs> so I like to the the conversation with Taravangian. There's this this hopeful agnosticism that permeates a lot of Brandon Sanderson works that that really comes out here. They kind of talk about whether or not there's a God and where they're going and all this kind of thing. And um, I don't know, it's just kind of a nice look at what Dalinar's beliefs are, even though he has come out and said that what his culture, what his people have thought of as God is actually not God. He still believes in a higher power of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we haven't really addressed it as a through line in this section, but Mm -hmm. I think we should just take a little time out to talk about Teravangian. Because mm-hmm. we've, I mean, he's there, we've hinted, but we had, but Teravangian is, has been the character who's stolen the scene in this section, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we know that Teravangian has these sort of, this axis along which he sort of vacillates, depending mm-hmm. on how he wakes up in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, in our last interaction, I think it was chapter 24, we see him, he's clearly on the not bright, highly empathetic mm-hmm. side of the spectrum. You know, he's uh, very melancholy, very um, pathetic. I don't mean that as in, I mean that in terms of pathos mm-hmm. um, and just feeling very, very strongly. The Teravangian we get in this interaction is much further the other direction in the not very empathetic, much, much more intelligent side of his character. And they go through this whole thing where uh, Teravangian recognizing, as you said, that Dalinar has sort of turned his back on his culture's religion, you know, he sort of calls him out for it and says, you know, what do you believe? How do you justify what you do and dalinar starts to quote nohadan in the way of kings Mm -hmm. and he goes through this um this sort of solomon's baby story you know this um three people they know three of four of these men are guilty of murder Mm -hmm. but they you know how do you punish them if you know for a fact three of them murdered but you don't know which one's the innocent Mm -hmm. this whole whole sort of story you know and they go back and forth but that whole thing with Teravangian is interesting. He's still my favorite character in these novels so far. He is absolutely, in my opinion, one of the best characters I've ever read in any novel. Yeah. One of the most interesting. Yeah. And it's so interesting to watch him from these outsiders' perspectives, knowing what we know about him, because we haven't had a point of view chapter from him 
in this book. We're just seeing him through Dalinar's eyes. Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting because you can catch the glimpses of smart Taravangian behind yeah. the, the facade that he's putting on as well. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's just, it's, it's utterly fascinating. I love this character. Yeah, yeah. How many murderers does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. Hang them all. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Good one. I like that. Thank you. So I have two favorite quotes this chapter. Okay. I'm going to jump into it because I know probably someone's going to ask in the probably, listener interactions. Yeah, yeah. One of them is from this chapter. Sometimes a hypocrite is nothing more than a person who is in the process of changing. That's and a good I was one. like, oh, snap. The other one is, sir, what are our orders? Stay out of my way. <laughs> oh, that's right. God. I forgot about that. I, f- <laughs> I failed you. I failed you all. Oh, that's, that's a good one. That's it. That's our chapter coverage. All right. Are you ready for listener interactions? After we play... Dun, dun, dun. It's reviews time to of review books, books that we, that we haven't, haven't read. read. Chad is going to review for us a book that he has never read. Uh, I don't read books. Are you ready for this? I, I'm ready. Chad is Wh- going to review... Uh, a new sci-fi classic. Okay. It's called Leviathan Wakes. Ooh, Leviathan Wakes. So, what did you think of the book? I thought Leviathan Wake was a fantastic coming-of-age story. And and how did you like the the per, the main character Holden uh his his merry band of of shipmates, Naomi, Amos, Shep. You know, um, I, I thought it was really interesting. The characters are are dynamic. Uh, we have Holden, who is loosely based on Brad Pitt. And by loosely, I mean as if you grabbed Brad Pitt's feet and I grabbed Brad Pitt's head and we stretched and we stretched and we stretched him. Until when we let him go, he wouldn't quite go all back together again. That kind of loosely based on Brad Pitt. <laughs> and, um, you know, he, he comes to seek uh, to learn how to become a man, you know, like uh, understanding the stock market. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he has his, his, his friends, like uh, Naomi, who is like, um, like if you took like a, a Winston 100 and a Newport Light and you made them have sex together. <laughs> um, and, um, and his, um, he had a, a harem of, of friends in these like knit bikinis that I called the macrame sluts, but that was just me. Um, and, you know, uh, it was interesting uh, that that his main antagonist was the ticket master because, oh, the hubris. Well, and we can't forget about Alex, the Martian with a Texan accent. No, I mean, you know, his whole mission was to seek uh, to return to a time, you know, before the robots had become sexy. Well, that was an 
excellent review. I got just one more question. Okay, I all need right. a prediction from you. Okay. What's up with that alien goo? The alien goo? Um, the alien goo is a substance that allows... Uh, it allows people to have the power to treat other people's over-the-top, overly dramatic tirades uh, with a zero sense of irony uh, by just matching their extreme emotions with more and more calm, seriousness, and active listening. Excellent review. This has been reviews of books we haven't read. Haven't read. And let's get on to listener interaction. Okay. So uh, about 48 hours ago, I put up the post on our Facebook group page and upon the Twitters saying in 48 hours, we'll be recording episode 105. Uh, If you have questions for the podcast, this is a good place to put them to it. Eric Allgaier replied, for contrast, the 101 easy crockpot recipes page would be a bad place to put them. Probably, probably. Pat Morrison said, what books are you considering after the Stormlight Archive? Sorry if you've already answered. I'm way, way back in catching up. So, Pat, we haven't answered because we don't have an answer. We don't want to make a determination when we are still weeks away from being done with this this novel. But any and all suggestions keep them coming. In fact, we might sometime in the coming weeks be putting up another poll and just yeah. see what people on the Facebook group page would like us to read next. Yeah, I have my I have my vote in already, but I'm not I'm not going to say it until Will you tell me later? I'll tell you later. All right. I'll, tell you later. I'll whisper it in your ear. Theo Graham Brown says, I mean, it's a story within a story, so I'm expecting approximately 40% of the episode to be diving into it. Well done, Theo. Yeah, well, that that was... <laughs> accurate. But mainly, I wonder are your thoughts on the nature of Shallan's play slash story. Do you think the inconsistencies were part of the tale or do, due to her trying to remember? I mean, specifically, whoa, this is so something you brought up too. It's a time before the storms. It's the wall that keeps the storm out. When she climbs the wall, it's they who are the bad people. Beyond the wall is some kind of Eden. Um, are the people beyond the wall the Parshendi, or are those the guys who climb the wall? Mm, good stuff. So, so it's a story within a story. Makes me think there's a, there's definitely a 1980s fantasy theme song, badly written, sung by Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> out there for that. It's like, it's a story inside a story within a story within a story because it's a story inside a story inside a story inside a story. Yeah, that's that's not as cute as you think it is. Damn it. I love you. <laughs> um. Susan King says, oh, I'm sorry, you were continuing. To- <laughs> no, I was going leg- to, I was oh, also okay. going to legitimately answer his question. Okay, by all means. Uh- <laughs> you just have to let me get the silliness out of, out of the way. It's Sometimes it's exhausting, though, I will admit. <laughs> I don't want you to wear yourself out. I meant for you. <laughs> 
That too. Um, I thought it was a part of the tale, sort of the inconsistencies. Um, I think that was all by design. And I definitely, I, I don't want to give away too much more because it's going to get into my predictions, but I will address the very last question a little bit later. All right. Susan King says, did Navani seem to be just a bit more upset about Dalinar's memory return than she should have been? I know the reason given was her investigating others and he was the only one that started remembering. I, I didn't take it that way. I just sort of took it as her being him being dismissive of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, like men are, we're like, ah, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's just uh, 110 over 170 blood pressure. What's the big deal? And her being like, no, you idiot. You have to go to the doctor, you dummy. Right. Like, that's the that's the way I took it. That's the way I took it, too, though. It did occur to me for some reason for the first time on this read through that that she had basically been in a perfect second wife situation. Like, if you have to be a dude's <laughs> second wife... But he can't remember anything about his first wife? Yeah. You're in the sweet spot there. <laughs> See, what we what we don't read on the page is that the night before, Dalinar was like, you know, this um this talu is not nearly as good as what Evie used to make me. <laughs> Susan King also says after going through the snapters we have so far, I'm thinking the author is Yasna. What's your thoughts? We, again, have neglected the snapters. Yeah, we'll have to come back to that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yes, I think when we when we get to the end of the part, for sure, we'll put them all together and then maybe discuss them at length. Uh, so Madsen Sparler says, is Dalinar's plan at the end of this section a good one? How will Fen react? So that's a really interesting question because on one hand, I think it is a good plan. And on the other hand, how I expect Fen to react when magical visions start playing uh, <laughs> in her head to be something like this. <laughs> well, at least Dalinar will be there to explain to her what's happening not sure if that will make it better or worse. Yeah. I know you didn't want me in your country, but now I'm in your head, I'm in bitch. your brain. <laughs> <laughs> I got game. I'm in your head. <laughs> hey, baby. Yeah. Uh, Rick Charon says, not really a question, but the girl who looked up is such a fascinating story. Agreed. For Brando Sando to write this wonderful piece of literature inside of an already magnificent novel is amazing. Agreed. It's a story I've told my children and used around campfires. Such a great read. Nice. And and now I'm going to as well, because they're constantly asking me to tell them stories. <laughs> Once upon a time, and when I'm I out. was a little daddy. Yeah, yeah. There was a big wall. <laughs> See, but I at least try to tell them stories that are based in reality. Well, which, you have better childhood stories than me, okay? My childhood this, stories not are making lame. accusations. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just only get told every single night how subpar my stories are. That's, fourth place, by the way. Fourth I'm place. I'm in fourth place. My God, who's in second and third? I'm pretty sure there's a stuffed animal in the mix ahead of me. Damn, that's harsh. 
I squeezed you out of my body, and this is the <laughs> thanks I get. Look, you erased too many of my brain cells when I was pregnant with you. I can't remember any good stories. Well, that's true, yeah. So Susan King says the new radiant uh, is Melanta, and her sprint. <laughs> what is that? Not right. I can't it's see. Melata. It just I sounds know. like Melanta. I know. <laughs> Spark is a dust bringer and likes to break things and take them apart to see how they work. Uh, what do you think is what do you think that Spark is going to break? Will Navani be able to reign in Spark? How is Spark an asset? I don't know. That's a good question. I really liked your point, which I not would not have thought of in contrasting Dalinar, somebody who bonds things. Uh, you know, he it's the kind of thing that you could like wear on a helmet and mm -hmm. then like hang from a girder mm -hmm. over New York City. And uh, the Dustbringer is the one who comes in and kicks the girder and now you fall to your death. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Definitely something to think about. Sam Denberg says, since she's obviously not with Teravangian, where's Yasna? <sighs> Good question. I have to say, I thought um, Susan King made a prediction that that when Teravangian showed up, Yasna would be in the retinue, which I thought was a really good prediction. So I'm going with my prediction uh, that I think she's in Alethgar. I think she's still walking. <laughs> she had a long <laughs> walk. She's going to show up in book seven. Be <laughs> like, I got something <laughs> really am. <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> Somebody get a bitch a glass of water. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for predictions? I am ready. Prediction the first. The humans on Roshar stole the stormlight away from the listeners. So going back to the story in the wall, I think the people on the other side of the wall in their utopian society mm -hmm. were the listeners. Mm. I like it. I think that um, on the other side, I think potentially, and this is going a little too far, but I'll throw it out there. What the hell? Uh, it's free content. The uh, I think I still like the idea of the wall also being what separates Shinovar from the rest of Roshar. Mm -hmm. And so it wouldn't surprise me if all of the sort of humans eventually stemmed from Shinovar and crossed over into the other part of Roshar, which mm -hmm. is where the listeners were, and brought with them the storms as a part of this violation, mm -hmm. which covered it all in Krem. But all mm -hmm. that was supposed to be the listeners, and they're now living in what should have been the listeners' lands. Mm -hmm. So prediction the second... Uh, we will never see Ishna from the market ever again, is what some idiot would say. <laughs> of course we will. I like it. Uh, prediction the third, the thrill and the recreants are related. Okay. I don't know how. Uh, number four, the heroes, quote, uh, the people in the, in the novel, or will find a way to restore the, quote, dead spread eventually. Mm-hmm. And uh, last one, the goo monster in the wall is one of the sleepless. Mm. The same creature as the uh, bug man from Edge Dancer. Okay. So my, so other than the ability to squeeze into a tiny shape like that, 
the other thing that makes me potentially think that that could be true is that the way pattern reacts to him says mm-hmm. he's ancient but doesn't recognize him as a spren mm-hmm. uh in edge dancer windle doesn't recognize him as a spren mm-hmm. the uh, the sleepless there is a spren he's a little bit afraid of him he's not a spren though who's that the sleepless yeah i know that oh okay all right i'm saying that um, oh, okay. windle doesn't recognize him right. as a spren when Shalon asks if she recognized him as a spren. Uh, Pattern said no. Mm-hmm. And in Edge Dancer, uh, the old man says, your war is my war and has been for millennia. Mm-hmm. So it's a, definitely a stab in the dark, but mm-hmm. uh, but that's what I'm going with. All right. It's the, it's the closest thing to sense I can make from this. Good stuff. I think so. Yeah. Did you have a good time? I did. Did you enjoy reading it? Absolutely. You look forward to reading chapters 29 through 35? You know I am. Mm, outstanding. Go on with your bad self. You can find us on the com. You can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. That's D as in David, N as in Nancy, D as in David Podcast. On Facebook, you can find us on our Facebook group page at facebook.com slash group slash the D&D group, or on our Facebook page, which we don't do a lot on, uh, but that is at the Duke and Duchess. You can find us on all the social media by searching for the Duke and Duchess podcast. It's Instagram, Goodreads, and the Reddits. Uh, Look for us, and we look forward to connecting with you. Good night, everybody. Good night.